Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today's show is sponsored by Social Media Marketing World 2016. I'll share more about this event later on in today's show. I'm super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Pat Flynn. We're going to talk about how to increase the likelihood that your next product idea is successful. By the way, if you want to reach me, podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com is a good way to reach me. And with that, let's transition over to this week's awesome discovery. After untangling a school of anacondas, look what Michael Stelzner found. We have recently uh, redesigned our website at socialmediaexaminer.com. And uh, in the process, I was showing the new design to a website guy that designed one of our older sites. And he said, hey, have you heard of this website called tinypng.com? And I hadn't. And he said, what you do is you drop your images into the browser window in this website, and it will radically shrink the size of the images. And um, this is the discovery of the week. It's, it's extremely cool. Basically, the way it works is you go to tinypng.com, and any image that's either a, a JPEG or PNG image, you can drop up to 20 of these images into the browser at one time. And it's really cool. The way it works is it tries to compress each of these images without creating any visual reduction in quality. And what I found is I've been able to save like 60 or 70% in the file size. Now, if you think about this for a little bit, a lot of us are creating um, big images at the top of each of our blog posts that are perhaps optimized for Facebook Open Graph or other websites like uh, Pinterest, and they're rather large. And by dropping these files into this tinypng.com website, it radically shrinks the size of some of these images. And in the end, a lot of people are surfing our website on mobile devices, and you want that uh, site to load as fast as possible. And one of the ways to speed up the load time is to reduce the file sizes. So um, this is now kind of a standard course of what we do at Social Media Examiner. Even when I'm loading images into ad servers and stuff, I will, I will reduce the file sizes. And what's really cool about it is even if you're using transparent PNG files, it doesn't have any visible difference at all. And we're talking radical reduction in file sizes. It's pretty amazing. Now, um, it's totally free. And the, the way that these guys monetize is they do sell a plugin uh, for WordPress that will automatically process files uh, on your website when you upload them to the media library. We do use it on our website and uh, you get so many for free every month and then it's a really small amount of money that they charge you. Uh, but you could just simply do the manual process as I did for a while and see if you find value in it. I know that this is really awesome, and a lot of people that I've introduced this to have been like, wow, that is absolutely amazing. So check it out, tinypng.com. 
With that, I do also want to mention Social Media Marketing World, and one of our speakers has something he wants to share with you. Hello, this is Joe Polizzi, founder of the Content Marketing Institute, and I am super excited to be presenting at Social Media Marketing World 2016. The topic? Through some amazing research, we've identified six key steps that small businesses need to take to build an audience that will drive your business forward. I'm going to present each of those six steps and teach you what we call the Content Inc. model. Hope to see you there. For those that don't know who Joe Polizzi is, he is literally the king of content marketing. He's the founder of Content Marketing World, which is the conference that inspired me to start Social Media Marketing World. He's written a bazillion books on content marketing, and he really is the dude. <coughs> Excuse me. He really is the dude. I apologize for that cough. Um, in addition to Joe um, covering content marketing. We've also got Ann Hanley. She's going to be doing a session called Good Content Versus Good Enough Content, a site for sore eyes. And she's written a couple books as well, and she's outstanding. Um, Marcus Sheridan is going to be talking about seven qualities of outrageously successful companies using content marketing. Uh, we've got Jason Miller from LinkedIn joined by Alexandra Lynn, and they're going to talk about how to create content marketing tactical plan that you can use on LinkedIn. Uh, in addition to all these content marketing focused sessions, we've got a lot of people talking about how do you create video content, how do you create blog content, how do you create audio content in many different kinds of platforms, including podcasting, blab. Periscope and more. So I hope you check it out. Social Media Marketing World 2016 is the event that you definitely do not want to miss. Check out smmw16.com. Before we transition over to the interview with Pat Flynn, I have one other special guest. All right. Well, today I have a special guest. It's my daughter. How old are you? 14. And tell me, what does your dad do? Uh... (laughs) Don't, don't you, you work on the computer. Oh, that's right. You teach people how to use social media. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, you work a lot. I do. You're busy. <laughs> so that's all I do is teach people how to. No, you have, you have conferences and online conferences and you blab once a week. You got a chance to experience one of those conferences kind of behind the scenes. What do you think? There are lots of wires. And what everywhere. else? Everywhere. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there's lots of wires. And For those that don't know what she's talking about, she got a chance to see what goes into the production. So she got to see all the audio, video guys and the equipment and the soundboards and the mixers and all that kind of stuff. Got another one of my daughters who's going to hop in here. So why don't you give the, the headset and microphone over to her? This is my... One of my other daughters. I've got three total. Welcome to the show. Hi. So tell me, what does your dad do? You? Uh, yeah. You um, you um, make podcasts and you teach about social media? That's right. And have you ever been to Social Media Marketing World? Uh, I think so. Right? You, what was your experience? Uh, um... Did you, did, was there it, a lot of people? Yeah, there was a lot of people I liked. It was really fun. Cool. And how old are you? Uh, oh, 11. Awesome. Well, you are a guest on my podcast today, and we're going to get your other sister over here real quick and get her to experience it. Thanks for joining me on the show, okay? Okay. <laughs> 
Okay, here comes my other. This is the first time I've actually ever had family on my podcast, and it's kind of cool just to hear what kids think. Welcome to my show. Hi. How old are you? Eight. You're eight? Does your dad work at all? Yeah, he does. What kind of work? He goes on the computer. Yeah, okay, cool. What do you think I do on the computer? Boring stuff. <laughs> well, what do you do? What's your job? Playing. Is that fun? Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Bye. Bye. Isn't it interesting to listen to kids and what they think about what we do as their parents? Obviously, I work on the computer, I teach people, and my job is boring. So there you have it. <laughs> the debut appearance of my kids on the show. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Pat Flynn. If you don't know who Pat is, he's the host of the Smart Passive Income podcast, and he blogs over at smartpassiveincome.com. He helps literally hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs build their dream businesses. His latest book is called Will It Fly? How to Test Your Next Business Idea So You Don't Waste Your Time and Money. Pat, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's been, it's been I don't know, over two years since I was last on the show. And uh, you know it's just been such a pleasure to get to know you even more through our mastermind group over those past two years. And I'm so stoked that you know I get to come back on the show and um, talk about something new. Very cool. Well, funny enough, you're, this is your third appearance on the show. And your very first appearance was my episode number four, which was well, back in August back. Yeah, August of 2012. And back then, you, you spoke about how to develop a loyal following with content. And boy, have you accomplished that, and then some. And then, if you yep. remember, episode 54 was uh, you and John Lee Dumas talking about how to overcome oh, that's fear. That's right, yes. And that was a really good episode, and that was in August of 2013. So it's definitely been more than two years. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you to the test. Do you remember where you first met me? I first met you at uh, Blog World Expo. That's right, in New York. Yes. And um, I knew it was you because I saw this guy with a back, backpack on, <laughs> backpack and it said hi my name is pat a backpack yeah it said hi my name is pat so i knew from behind who he was and um cindy king on my editorial team said hey you know what i did was i asked people on my team whenever i go to a conference who do you think i ought to meet and she said you gotta check out this guy pat flynn uh he's doing really cool stuff with his blog and I went up to you, and I think I had some sort of a little portable camera with me, a flip cam or something. And we went into an open space, and I just did a little 10-minute tabletop interview with you. I vividly remember that, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. I was, little, I was like, who's this guy? He's like recording me. I don't even know him. And Yeah. And now we're like great friends. I love yeah, it. Yeah, and it turns out Pat and I live in the same city, and we got to know each other uh, quite well. And it's exciting to see where you've gone, where it really you and I have both gone really since 2012. It's quite. Did you have your podcast back then? I did. I, my podcast started in 2010, and the podcast was doing okay in 2012. But just recently, it's been over the past. Uh, ever since we last um, chatted, uh, it's been really taking off exponentially. I mean, I just passed uh, just la just last week actually just passed 20 million downloads. That's insane. On my show. That's insane. Which it, it is insane. <laughs> I can't believe it. Well, let's. For those that don't know, Pat's prior career was as an architect. 
and um, you ultimately started as an architect and then you became an entrepreneur. And the question I've got for you is, how has your architect training helped you with your business and your product ideas? Because I can imagine, I remember when I was in high school taking an architect class and man, it was really not you know easy. It was very, very challenging and there's lots of rules and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your architect experience and what you learned in school and how it maybe set you up for success in business. I mean, the, the actual practice of architecture, I mean, there's only a few things that I've pulled from being in, the, in that space for a little bit. For example, just the amount of time it takes to complete a project. You can't just put up a building tomorrow, right? You have to do a lot of things to prep it properly because like you said, there's a lot of things involved and plus people's lives are at stake. We don't realize this when we think of architects, but you know, people are building buildings that people stay in and you have to make sure that they're structurally sound and you have to make sure that pe- people use them and they're comfortable inside. And there's a lot of factors that, that, that play a role in that. But just the long-term process of taking a, a giant project and breaking it down into chunks, I think that's something that really helped me when I started my online business and started getting uh, into entrepreneurship. Another thing is just, just I feel like it, it's the same as I do now in terms of working hard on something, planning ahead of time, not really knowing uh, you know, what it's going to be like until actually people out, are out there and in it and using it. So in the architecture world, of course, it's building a building and then you know, come the day it opens, people are going through it. It's such a cool feeling to see people using that thing that you've spent so much time building. And in, in online business, you know, when you're, when you're building a project, when you're working on a project or you're launching something, you know, you're working on it really hard, you've spent a lot of time planning it. And then all of a sudden to launch it and see people use it and benefit from it, whether it's software or an info product or what, whatever service you have to offer. It's just such a cool feeling to see people use that and, and benefit from it. Um, but the, the, the main difference actually, and the thing that architecture taught me that I didn't like about it, later when I look back retrospectively was that the fact that I was working so hard and I was doing a lot of things and I didn't really get recognition for what I was doing. And, you know, if I were to ask you, Mike, in the building that you're in right now, or even the home that you sleep in at night with your family, like if I were to ask you who architected that building or who designed it or even who built it, I mean, we, we hardly even, we don't even know. I mean, there's only a couple famous architects that some people can pull out of their heads, like Frank Lloyd Wright or Frank Gehry or a few others. But when it came to online business, when I started, I was in this little space called the lead exam. It was an exam that architects take. That's how I got into online business, teaching people how to pass that exam. And with a little study guide and practice exams, people were reaching out to me and sending me like essays, thanking me by name for what I was doing to help them in their careers. And it was just such a cool feeling that was so different than anything I'd ever gotten in the world of architecture. And then in terms of skills, I guess the only thing I pulled from architecture that I use now is, is Photoshop skills. That It's been a good thing for me to know how to use Photoshop and create graphics rather quickly. Well, I would have, I'm, I'm just guessing because I've never been an architect, but I'm, I'm imagining there is some sort of process that an architect goes through that is applicable to business, right? Like the idea of going from sitting across the table from someone explaining what their idea is to actually mocking it up and then ultimately, I don't know, maybe that's not architecture. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I remember even back in, in my architecture days in school, uh, you know, the, pulling overnighters in, in, in the studio, 
what we're building is solutions. I mean, you're building a solution for a client's problem that they have. And, you know, you have to figure out and work with them to make sure it's the way that they want it. And, of course, when you do that and as you build the thing, then there are changes that need to happen. You pivot and you learn as you go and you kind of have to really uh, adjust and, and adapt along the way. And that's really what entrepreneurship is or any online business or if you're working for anybody. I mean, really, to be successful, you have to learn how to adapt and, and you know, solve other people's problems. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. All right. So, um, this new book, uh, will it fly? I, I kind of, from what I've seen of the book, um, I kind of call this a pre-launch book, you know? Um, and I'm curious, and what I mean by that is, you know, there's a lot of books that talk about how to launch which you've, once you've already developed the product, but this book seems to be more, um, how to make sure that you have a product that will, you know, ultimately have a successful launch. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of label this as pre-launch. So why did you decide to write a book on this stage of, you know, a product development? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Everybody who's in business or, or works for somebody who's in business, of course, you know, we always launch stuff all the time, but the launch is just one process of it. It's the, that's the getting started part. But how do you know if it's going to keep going? How do you, how do you know if it's going to fly? And that's where the title, Will It Fly? comes from, among other uh, hidden motifs and things like that. But really, I, I started this book and I wanted to write, it, write this and, and really crank it out because for two reasons. One, you know, in addition to the Smart Passive Income podcast, which I have, which is a one week, once per week show, I also have another show called Ask Pat, where I answer a voice question for my audience five days a week. And a cool byproduct of that is I get these voicemail questions because I I actually highlight and insert those voicemail questions using a tool called SpeakPipe into that show. And a byproduct of of running the show is I get dozens of dozens of questions every day. And it's really cool because I can see what the biggest problems are that my audience has. And you know, this was a common question. Like, how do I know if this idea I'm working on is, is worth spending time on? And I, I must have gotten at least, uh, you know, 50 or 60 people asking some version of this question over the course of two years. And I tried to answer this on that show. But the problem is that show is, you know, pretty much and, and consistently a 10 to 15 minute show. And it was impossible for me to answer that question in that amount of time. And I even tried to put that into a smart passive income uh, podcast episode. And again, it was still too short. There was, was such a big topic that I knew it, it, it needed something bigger. And then this topic was validated when I did a survey with my audience uh, you know, earlier in 2015. And it pretty much said the same thing. And, you know, I actually segmented the people out who said that they had yet to start a business because you can do that using different survey tools. I use SurveyMonkey. So one of the questions was, you know, how long have you been running your online business? And one of the answers to that question was, I have yet to start my online business. So looking at just those people who answered, I have yet to start one, I looked at their biggest struggles and the biggest problems that they had and the biggest concerns. And by far, the number one thing was, I just don't want to waste time. And I need to know that that thing I'm working on is going to pay off. Because when you think about it, time is of the essence, of course, and people don't want to waste their time. So they would much rather do something that they're comfortable doing, knowing that it's pushing the needle a little bit than working on something completely brand new, not knowing whether or not it's going to pay off or not. And that's when I decided to really, we got we to make sure that you know, we catch people in the beginning because imagine there might be some people out there with some amazing ideas or amazing companies with the, these ideas and they're just a little reluctant to, 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 to work on those. And it's kind of sad because some of those things might be life-changing uh, products or services for some people out there. Well, and I would imagine there's also plenty of people that have tried to launch products and it has not flown. And that has kind of, that's kind of like, um, uh, made it so they don't want to try again. Right. And I'm sure you and I have both done this, Pat, right? Oh, totally. (laughs) I mean, like I look at, uh, the, my kids adventures project, which I 
did a long podcast about, but my mistake on that project was I just assumed that there was an audience uh, that was interested in what I was interested in. And I made a lot of assumptions that they would end up wanting to pay down the road for something. And those assumptions were just way off. And I, I invested enormous amounts of time and effort almost at the, almost at the expense of, you know, my sanity. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, let's, let's zoom in for a second. Like what, what about yourself? Like, have you not followed some of these premises in the past and yeah, <laughs> failed <yeah>. miserably. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, assumptions are great because they're ideas that we have, but when you act on those assumptions without first taking the calculated, you know, when you don't take that calculated risk, when you go forward without knowing whether or not that's actually something people would actually pay for, because you know what, we're all running a business. We need to know if people are actually going to pay in the end. And um, I've built a lot of things in the past based on assumptions, based on my own preferences, without talking to other people first uh, or not talking to the right people. And it's always, it's always not done very well. <laughs> there was one case, for example, in 2010, I had a couple buddies in the entrepreneurship space who were building WordPress plugins. Uh, WordPress is, is one of the many blogging platforms out there, definitely the most popular. And there's these plugins you can add in. And these people who I knew created plugins that people had to pay for to get access to. And both of these guys launched within two months from each other. And each of them were making six figures within a month from the from their launch of their product. And I was like, wow, this is this is amazing. Like, I need to get into this. So I immediately came up with two ideas for WordPress plugins. I hired a developer, didn't talk about these ideas with anybody because it was my, I, for one, I just didn't want to share this because it was, I felt like it was such a good idea uh, and I didn't want anybody else to take it. But secondly, I wanted to keep it secret because I wanted the, the, the reveal on launch day to just blow everybody's minds. Well, I worked with this developer for what it was supposed to be a month to create these things and it ended up turning into three months. And the big problem with this was I didn't even know what I wanted exactly. You know, when we get these ideas in our heads, they're just ideas and our brain does a good job of coming up with ideas, but it doesn't do a good job of creating order out of those ideas. And one of the one of the things in the book that I talk about is you really have to develop these ideas first and understand truly what it is that you're thinking about doing. And once you see it on paper, once you wireframe it, once you get an idea and can visually see what it's like, then it's easier to share it with other people. Well, I didn't do that. I just said, hey, developer, I want a plugin that does this. Like, make sure it does this, this, and this. And of course, he comes back with a, a plugin that works, and it does this, this, and this, this like I said, but it's, it's completely different than what I thought it was going to be because he had no direction. And so that was partly my fault, actually completely my fault. And then it turned into a $15,000 mistake that never got launched because at the end of it, when I actually finally built these things, I shared it with a couple people, and they were like, yeah, this is okay, but I could do it on my own if I just spent a little bit more time. And it wasn't the reaction that I thought I was going to get. And if I had simply just talked about these ideas first with my target audience, with some other people that I knew in my mastermind groups, uh, and, and not kept it a secret, it would have been very clear to me that that thing that I had that idea for was not what I should have been doing. And I could have started there and used that idea as a seed to then talk to other people and kind of have them poke holes in it and have them then turn it into something that that was actually going to work. And, um, you know, that was just one of the a few examples of, of, of that. Uh, yeah. another, another example, actually, I don't know if you know this. I, I haven't talked about this with very many people. After I created greenexamacademy.com, which is the lead exam, a study guide prep 
uh, resource that I created, my wife and I got really excited about a, a business that we were going to create. Um, and it was a blog, actually. It was called A Couple of Thoughts. And the idea of, of this blog was that both April and I, my wife April, we were going to be blogging simultaneously about the same topic. And it was going to be sort of a male versus female, husband versus wife kind of thing. And uh, we, we were like, this is going to be great. Like, nobody's doing this. <laughs> I spent $3,000, some of my earnings from, from Green Exam Academy on uh, building a WordPress theme because there was no WordPress theme that had sort of a side-by-side dual thing like that. And every week would be a different topic and we thought it'd be, it'd be fun and exciting, a cool project for us to do. Well, we built the entire theme, we launched the website, and then we were like, okay, now we start writing. And we didn't even finish one blog post because it was, we just found out that the writing thing was just not for us and that we ended up like bickering a little bit and it was just like, <laughs> this is dumb. And then I thought about it. I'm like, why did we spend all this money at first creating this thing when we could have just validated the process first and learned right away that this is not for us? And so, well, I want to I want to say a couple of things to people that are listening right now that have made a lot of mistakes or even one big mistake with the idea with an idea in your brain. Um, first of all, it's very important to know that most people that are successful have failed over and over and over and over again, mm-hmm. and that's part of the reason we did that podcast back way when on failure. Um, you know, well, actually. No, that was fear. Sorry, fear. <laughs> but but still, I mean, we may, I did one on failure, and um, the moral of the story is that uh, don't let your failures um, uh, slow you down. Because in reality, I'm sure you can acknowledge this, Pat. It's all your failures that have gotten you where you are right now, right? Because you learn a lot from those failures. Oh, you need to fail. It's it's a part of the process. It's it's and it's 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 almost like a ritual of becoming an entrepreneur. Is you have to fail, but also you just learn so much from those mistakes. And actually, I, I don't know if you remember this, but the, the story that I start with in the book, Mike, is about uh, my son who was building paper airplanes. I taught him how to build paper airplanes when he was three. And the first thing I did was create that little dart, you know, the really simple dart design. And I, and I uh, showed it to him. He was so mesmerized by it, right? And he was just like any three-year-old boy, he wanted to do the same thing. So he took a piece of paper immediately after that. And before I could give him any instructions or anything, he was just folding this thing and like crumpling it up and, you know, going through the same motions. And he came up with this thing, which it didn't look like a plane at all. It looked more like a boat, really. I knew it wasn't going to fly, but he threw it and it didn't go anywhere and he threw it again. It didn't go anywhere. And then he said, I hate paper airplanes. <laughs> I, and- I remember reading that opening. That's a perfect, right? Because that's a perfect metaphor for what happens when we try things and we fail, right? Oh, totally, right? We get excited about uh, something somebody else is doing. We, we go through the same motions and, and, and we just see if it works and it doesn't. And then we're like, screw this. This this isn't for me anymore. And we think that this like that's not what we're supposed to do. But you just didn't get the right instructions. You just didn't know what to do properly. And, and you know, one of my biggest things as a parent is to try and teach my kids that failure is okay. And like a couple of years ago, I could tell that just for whatever reason, I didn't really teach them this. This is just human nature I found um, by watching my kids. It's just they get scared of failing. And I, I don't know what it is, but you know, I've always tried to encourage them that you know, failing is okay, but whatever it is, that's, that's their default reactions that failure is bad. So they don't try new things and they get, they get fearful. But now, like now that I've been teaching in these entrepreneurial ways and just telling him that it's okay or just it's not it's not you can't it's you can't yet and all that sort of stuff um, I've been seeing that he's been more okay with failing he's trying new things and literally now he he builds paper airplanes all day long and he's trying new designs and sometimes they don't work but he knows that he has to go through those ones that don't work 
before he finds the ones that do. And and yeah, I think it's a I think it was a great way to start the book and a perfect metaphor for what all of us do, not just in business, but in, in life and as employees and you know yeah. all the all those sorts of things. Yeah, and you know the key here is um, nobody really wants to fail. I don't think any of us go into uh, an idea or business venture with the intention of failing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, wouldn't it be great if there was some sort of way to reduce the likelihood of failure? And that's, I think, where your book comes in. Absolutely. Yep. So what I want to key in on is it, the subtitle of your book is called How to Test Your Next Business Idea So You Don't Waste Your Time and Money. Said another way, how to test your next business idea so you reduce your failure. And what I really want to zoom in on are two key words that are in your subtitle, which is ideas and testing. So let's start with the idea side of things and let's dig in a little bit here. Like, you know, um, what are your thoughts on where we should get ideas and which ones we ought to listen to and which ones we should ignore? Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's all different places and, and ways that you can get ideas. You can get have them from within, which is which is fine. You can get them from external factors, which is even even better because you know it's somebody else who has a problem. I mean, every business is a solution to a person's problem. Every successful venture out there is a solution to somebody's problem, and really, that's that's where it starts. And it's interesting because. In going through this process of will it fly with a, with a number of people, like a lot of people who will be picking up this book have an idea in mind already. And that's that's great, and it's a great place to start, but there's some research that has to happen to make sure that that idea aligns with people's problems. And actually, a lot of people who go into this book and these processes with these ideas, they see their ideas morph because then it, it starts to become less their idea and more a, a solution to somebody else's problem. And then, you know, there's actually a lot of cool things that I talk about in the book that I haven't really uh, talk, uh, seen before, um, which are ways that you can research who your audience is and, and about the market that you're in. One of my favorite things is called the market map. So whatever business you're in, even if you already have a business, one of the cool things you can do is create what I like to call the market map, which is where you discover the three Ps of your audience. So the first P is finding all the different places where your your target audience is, and there's a number of different ways to do this, both online and offline. You know, you find out what those places are. The the second P is to find all the people, the influencers, the people who have some sort of trust with that target audience already. And the final P is the products. What are they actually buying, or what's being offered to them already? And when you can find these three P's, the places, the people, and the products, you get this incredible bird's eye perspective of a map of this particular space that you're entering and you can see where you could potentially position yourself but also what's missing and where the holes are and what's working and what's not working and you can incorporate those things into your new idea and a lot of times just the market map alone shows that yes your idea is great but it needs these other things to help you make it even better and stand out because you know that that's one of the the, the uh, things that we hear a lot about the most in terms of succeeding is you got to stand out from the crowd, right? But if you don't know what's in that crowd or what that crowd is, then how are you going to stand out? And that's really what the market map is all about. And then, Hey, wait, real quick, just a sec, if I can interject here. Yeah, please. So when I started social media examiner to, to use your three P's, people, places, and products, um, back when I started social media examiner, I noticed that, uh, the people that were most active on social media were predominantly public relations and marketing professionals. And they were the ones that were out there talking about it all the time. The places where they were doing that were almost exclusively blogs. So there was very little other, there was hardly any video, hardly any audio. It was all the written word. And the products that 
existed in the space back in 2009 when I started Social Media Examiner were, mm. for the most part, conferences that were pretty lame, you know? And what I mean by that is small, regionalized, 40 people kind of events that would travel around the country talking about Twitter. You know, it was very, very, Isn't very it? early, <laughs> you know? And, um, so I, I, I knew who those people were because of my prior, uh, thing that I did before social media examiner. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I could develop a better, um, place for them to go, you know? So I started writing articles that were really deep and rich where everybody else was, was narrow in opinions. This was deep and how to, and then, and then I offered online learning because there was nothing back then for social media. So that's kind of how I used you know, your three P's, I, I, now that I'm just thinking through it, to start Social Media Examiner. And that's, I think, part of the reason why we've been successful. Yeah, I love that. And one of the cool things about creating this market map in the research process is that when you move forward with this business, that becomes an incredible tool that you can use. I mean, there you have all the places. Those become the sites that you could potentially advertise on or, you know, write articles on. And all the people, those are the relationships that you should then create or people you could JV with and all the products. Those are aff affiliate opportunities or opportunities for you to then at least get a, an idea on who the competitors are and what the prices are and how you can stand out from there. So again, this becomes an amazing tool. Um, the other thing in terms of, you know, narrow it down a little bit, you know, first you're looking at the, the market in whole and finding your position there, which you obviously did a great job. And then it's getting into your customer's head. Um, and, and, and so, you know, a lot of times we hear this thing called the customer avatar, right? Which is, is important to know about, you know, it's important to have this idea of who you're speaking to, who it is you're serving, who your customer is. And, you know, a lot of times people create uh, an imaginary person that, with a name and they have a family or not. And, you know, they, they, you kind of make up this life for them and it helps you decide who you're speaking to. And every time I've run through this exercise of creating a customer avatar, I have a, I have a problem. And that problem is I know in the back of my head that that person's not real. And so it's hard for me to really get into their heads because they're, they're I mean, I can't ask them questions. And yes, I mean, they're, they're made up of a, a bunch of different people in my audience, but I, I would much rather talk to actual people in my audience and, and actually get to know who they are um, and instead of creating this make, made up thing. And so I created this thing called uh, the customer plan. So this is, instead of getting into the avatar, you're creating a customer plan, which essentially helps you get that avatar, but in a, in a more realistic way, I think. So the plan, P-L-A-N, is another acronym. I love acronyms. Uh, I got that from Ray Edwards because he uses those all the time. And they help me remember things. So uh, plan, P-L-A-N. The first P is the, pro is the problems. you got to discover what the problems are. And the best way to do that is if you have an audience already, uh, surveys are great and, and conversations with people who are already customers or target customers. Um, or you can do research online too through forums and blogs and, and, and uh, keyword research and things like that. So what are the problems that your audience is going through? Then the second part, which is really important that a lot of people skip over, the L in plan is the language that your audience uses. Jay Abram has a great quote, and that is, if you can um, define the problem better than your target customer, they will automatically assume you have the solution. So really, I mean, essentially making a list of what the language is that they use, because maybe you know what those problems are. Maybe you have the, the right solution. You mean, you, key, you mean key phrases and stuff when you say language, not English versus Spanish. <laughs> correct, correct. The, okay. the, 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 the key phrases that they use, not necessarily the keywords they type into Google, although that's part of it, but just the way they say things, I guess you could say. Right. Um, and not, not the, the specific uh, language they, they use in terms of, you're right, English or Spanish, uh, which is interesting. That you say that, but anyway, um, so that's important to know because if you have the right solution and you know their problems, 
Well, if you don't speak to them in the way that they know to be spoken to or the way that they can understand, well, it's not going to be apparent to them that, 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 they, that you know what's going on. And a very easy way for you to, to, to lose trust fast is to talk to people in a way that they don't understand, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the L part. The A, my favorite part, are really getting into the anecdotes or the stories of your audience. So getting to know people, reaching out to them, talking to them, and asking questions like, tell me about a time when this, or tell me about you know, one time when you blank. I mean, this is something I learned from Alex Bloomberg, uh, who, who is the podcast host of, of Startup and also uh, all the Gimlet podcasts, and Ira Glass, they use this question all the time. Tell me about a time when blank. And people will open up their hearts to you when you ask him that question. Give us an example. Uh, so, you know, for example, Mike, if I was like, tell me about a time when, I mean, you, you, you did it to me earlier. You said, uh, tell me about a time when you didn't go through the validation process. I see. And, gotcha. You know, and gotcha. so I, I came out with that great story, which puts into context everything we're talking about, as opposed to just facts, you know, yep. putting it into stories, something that people can really resonate with. And also it will resonate with you when you get to know who your audience is through these stories. And then through that, you learn what the needs are. That's the N. And that becomes those hypotheses that you test. And, you know, one of my favorite shows and one of my son's favorite shows, actually, I'm stoked that he loves this show, is called Mythbusters. They're actually, uh, as, we, as we record this, they're doing, a, um, they're doing every myth that they've ever done on, on the Science Channel up until uh, New Year's, which is really cool. So we've been watching Mythbusters all day long. And what's cool about Mythbusters is it's sort of what we do when we're testing ideas, right? We take, we take these big ideas and then we scale them down into a controlled environment with a small number of people so we can then see what the reaction's like and make sure that we're safe and make sure that we know all the things that are going on before we then take it large scale. And when you come up with the plan and you discover what the needs are, well, then you come up with your solution. And that's what you test. And then you go out there and go through the validation process, which is a specific, there's a specific formula or method for doing that, which we could talk about in a sec. Yeah, hold on for one second, though. Give us again what the PLAN acronym stands for. So PLAN, problems, the language uh, that they use, the anecdotes, and then the need that they have. Okay, so we spent quite a bit of time talking about the idea stage, and you just transitioned into the testing stage, so um, I'm glad that you did because it's perfect transition. So okay, good. why should we test? Why should you test? And then because, how should we test? Well, if, if you don't test, you're just guessing. And yes, you will never 100% know if something's going to work, but you can give yourself a much better chance, like you said earlier, reducing the failure rate. And that's really what this is all about. And plus, when you test, a number of, of amazing things can happen. I mean, when you, when you validate your idea, for example, um, there are a lot of benefits. I mean, not just being able to know whether your idea is going to work, but there's a lot of other things. For example, you're going to get incredible feedback from the people that, that you work with. You know, that's why beta groups are, a beta group is, is a part of the testing process, you know, um, because you're getting sales up front too, but also you're getting people to give you feedback on that thing so you can then turn it into something that they want and then go large scale with it. And that's what I did with my smart podcast player. I launched it, um, went through a validation process similar to what I talked about in the book. And then I talked with the, 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 the first few customers about, well, 
I have all these features ideas. I could put them all, but which ones are most important to you? And I can get feedback directly from my customers instead of just guessing and putting it out there and hoping. Um, the, the other thing is if you're just starting out as an entrepreneur, well, you get early selling experience in a controlled environment, which is great too, and that's always good to have. You can get money up front in your pocket. I mean, that's really the only way to truly validate because, Mike, I know, uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I've, I've shared ideas with, with friends and family before and e- even people in my audience and they say, yeah, that would be a great idea. I would totally buy that. But then, of course, when push comes to shove and you actually show a buy now button, they don't. Saying somebody, uh, you know, there are different levels of of validation, each that come with a different level of confidence. And having people say that they want something is actually a low level of confidence because that is, you know, just the start of it. If you just went off of what people said, then you were potentially setting yourself up for failure. You need to have people vote with their payments, uh, using pre-orders and pre-selling and that sort of the way. Yeah. And a lot of businesses are starting out this way now. And, and, and it's sort of a combination of, you know, Eric Reese and the Lean Startup and starting out with MVPs or minimum viable products, but also, you know, getting people to actually pay for something before it's built, which I know on the surface sounds like, well, that's kind of weird. Like, I don't know if that's right, but think about it. Kickstarter, Indiegogo, we're paying for stuff up front so often now. I mean, even events, of course, that's something that we all pay for up front before we actually get access to it. And so it's actually not that far-fetched. Um, and then plus, of course, when you validate, if you do, and you get a certain amount of people to uh, pre-order something, well, yeah, you're going to be completely motivated to get things done and you, you're going to have them uh, to, to push you forward into actually creating that thing, which I know a lot of people are also struggling with as entrepreneurs and, and business owners is, is just you know, they know they need to do something, but they don't have motivation to do it. Uh, well, when you have customers who have paid you already for something, well, yeah, you're, you've lit that fire and you're going to get that done. I, you know, you kind of, um, you kind of answered the question I was going to ask. I was going to say, are there some products you can't test? Like I was thinking about social media marketing world, because when I went from social media success summit, which was online to physically doing the conference, mm-hmm. I asked people in an exit survey, whether they would be interested in coming to a physical event. And a big chunk of them said yes, and I use that as enough evidence to just roll with it. But I guess in the end, had I not sold enough tickets, I just would have canceled the event, yeah, right? Exactly. And that's exactly. that's that's a way of testing. I hadn't thought through it, right? Because you do have to buy your ticket before you go to an event, and um, that's cool. So how do we actually test? Like, um, uh, I know you've kind of mentioned a little bit about how pre-selling and stuff, but like, what are a couple tests that, you know, let, let's just- Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Well, Actually, I'm not the first person to talk about this. The first person that I remember talking about this was Tim Ferriss back in 2007 in his book, The 4-Hour Workweek. And there was a chapter in there called Testing the Muse, which ran through a validation process very similar to the ones I talk about here. It's actually, that's, that's one way to do it is the way he did it. And the way he did it was he actually gave you this example of selling uh, an e-commerce product, uh, I think French sailor shirts, if, if, for those of you who might remember this, uh, this chapter. And to validate that product idea, he actually paid Google AdWords or paid for AdWords to get cold traffic onto a website, a sales page that looked like it was selling these things that had a buy now button. And he would keep track of how many people clicked on that buy now button to determine whether or not that's actually something people would want. And of course, but there was nothing to actually buy is what you're no, saying. No, the, the, there was nothing to actually buy. It would say, oh, sorry, we're out of stock, but when this becomes available, we'll let you know, huh. send it, put your email address here. So wait, is, just so I understand. So he would create a, a sales page. Correct. And it would have some sort of a pitch on there and then it'd have a buy now button and he would click to see how many people he'd track the total page views and the number of clicks on the buy now button and then that's how he could kind of anticipate actual demand correct and wow. that was that was pretty cool like that that i mean even though that was one chapter a lot of people loved that kind of thing but then he never really talked more about it and a lot of people haven't really 
you know, expanded on validation. That's just one way to do it using cold advertising to a sales page. And, you know, when you talk about it in that way, it makes sense. But you could also do uh, paid advertising to a webinar where you then actually start to build a relationship with some, somebody and then tell them. And, you know, in the validation process that I talk about, it's always about being honest. You want to talk to people and tell them, yes, you are validating something. And, and I don't like pretending that something is for sale and then, you know, switching it up later. I like saying, hey, guys, I'm, this is the idea I have. I know you have this problem. Well, I have the solution and I want to build it, but I need to know that people want it. So if you, if you were interested in this, I'm going to give it to you at a super discounted price because you're, you're here as an early adopter. And if I get 20 people, for example, uh, to get this thing, um, I will build it. If not, I will just refund your money. And again, being, being honest about that is, is really important too. And actually a lot of people will be excited about working with you on this product before it's even built because then they can be, you know, part of the benefit is not just getting a discount on it, of course, but it's, it's working with you during that process of building it to make it exactly what they want. And again, not everybody will be wanting it upfront because not everybody is an early adopter, but you know, there are early adopters out there who would be interested if this is something that checks out. But there's, there's a very specific process here that does, you know, the framework, which does match up with Tim's idea, but there's also other ways to, to go about it. And the first step is to just get in front of an audience. Of course, mm -hmm. Tim's method was getting in front of an audience through paid advertising, which is great. And Facebook wasn't around then. I, I imagine you can get a lot more targeted now with, with Facebook, for example. But getting in front of an audience is really important. Now, if you have an audience already, great. But this is where a lot of people who try to talk about validation fails. They assume that everybody has an audience already or you just create a blog or a podcast to get one. But obviously that takes a long time. But there, I actually outline eight different ways in this book that you can get in front of somebody else's audience. Uh, and there's, there are ways to, again, get in front of people and have them uh, be a, a, a control group that you can use to validate this process. And it doesn't necessarily have to be your audience. So that's step one, get in front of an audience. The second one is to hyper-target or get people's attention who your solution would be perfect for. So let's say, Mike, for example, like you get in front of a stage and you know, you're talking to people and your target audience, but if you have an idea, typically it's going to be for a specific group of people in that audience. You need to understand who those people are. So you need to hyper-target. Essentially, the analogy I use is you need to get people to raise their hands and say, yeah, I have that problem. And then it is those people who in the next step you then reach out to and talk to. And the best way to, to validate is actually through one-on-one -on -one interaction. So getting on Skype with them, getting on the phone with them, and actually talking to them about their problems to have them actually say, yes, I have that problem, and say, well, okay, well, I have a solution for that. And then you go through the, the process of actually asking them for the transaction, the pre-order process, and again, making them feel comfortable and knowing that you're honest about the fact that you, don't, you haven't built this thing yet and that you're going to build it if you get so many people to be interested in it. Actually, there, there's a lot of examples that I put in the book about people who have done this. And you know, they get in front of audiences in different ways. They interact with their audience in different ways. There's a lot of ways you can be creative with this framework. But this is actually how validation works. And then once you get to that point where you did validate, well, then it's about working with those people moving forward into the large-scale uh, launch and, and, and whatnot. And the cool thing about this is now you have customers, now you have people who can you know, create testimonials for you, examples, and when you go uh, sell full-scale, you, you're, you're not you know, making fake testimonials. You actually have people who've run through your program or bought your product or used your course or whatever it is. Um, it, it, it's really cool. I mean, uh, one example... Is uh, I know you know Noah Kagan from from yep. AppSumo. Uh, he actually did this publicly. He validated a product. It was a, a beef jerky subscription service, and part of the challenge was he had his audience give him an idea to validate, and the idea was well beef jerky. And so he took this and he ran through it. He talked to a lot of people, asked questions like you know with his friends, and he went to gyms and asked questions like, well, um, how often do you get jerky? What, what's your jerky? Uh, <laughs> uh, buying process like you know kind of interesting right. but he found out that 
people who buy beef jerky, they get it because it's it's convenient, it stores well, and also they don't think about their jerky like they don't think about the the brands. They just they just want it, and if it's convenient, then it's even better. So that's where the subscription service idea came from. Th- th- that's how he validated that that idea, um, or or and then he or that's how he came up with the idea, and then he validated it by actually having people pay for it, and he actually earned a thousand dollars profit in 24 hours by reaching out to different offices. That's who he targeted, business offices who, who were already buying snacks to see if they would be interested in this, plus some of his friends and stuff. And uh, he, he made it work. And now this business called Sumo Jerky, he handed it off to somebody else because it was doing so well. And he has his other business to focus on. And a, a guy named Ryan is now what they call Chief Jerk at uh, Sumo Jerky. <laughs> and um, it's making five figures a month. That's crazy. Uh, it's, it's amazing. And so uh, it, it, it was really cool to see that. And I, I, um, there's like, bonus interviews and stuff with the book too um, with with Noah and other people who have validated their ideas too. Well, the new book is called Will It Fly? How to Test Your Next Business Idea So You Don't Waste Your Time and Money. And you've been getting a sample of some of the stuff that'll be in the book. Pat, why don't you tell everyone where they can discover the book um, and where they can learn more about you? Sure. Thank you, Mike. And again, thank you for having me. Thank you for those of you who, who have uh, you know, been listening all the way through. I appreciate you guys. Uh, you can get the book at willitflybook.com. Again, that's willitflybook.com. Uh, launches February 1st. And uh, I'm, I'd be super stoked if you checked it out. I, I, I'm so thankful uh, for, for everybody who, who will check it out. Again, that's willitflybook.com. All right, Pat. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if anybody wants to reach out to you directly, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, hit me up on uh, Twitter at Pat Flynn. It'd be quick and easy. And, and I'm always on there answering questions if you have any. All right. Pat Flynn, author of the brand new book, Will It Fly? Let's see if it flies off the shelves, yeah, Pat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if not, it'll be flying into the, uh, to the landfill, I guess. <laughs> Pat, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, I hope you got a lot out of today's show. If there was anything that we mentioned and you missed it, we take all the notes for you at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 182, stands for episode 182. So don't forget to subscribe to this show. If you're not already a subscriber, hit that subscribe button on your podcast player. And are you coming to social media marketing world? Are you on the fence? Well, visit smmw16.com, watch the videos, see what everybody's talking about, and see if it's right for you and your business. smmw16.com for Social Media Marketing World. I look forward to meeting you there in person. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.